Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about saving versus investing and what is savings. I'm Rachel, and welcome to the show, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Savings will be an awesome topic today. Yes, thank you for that. So today we're going to be addressing a simple, basic fundamental of savings. And I'll challenge you if you feel that this is too basic for you, that this is really something that's important for all of us. There's a problem. And that is that we have saving as this foundation of building wealth. And yet, most people don't have as much savings as they want. According to a 2016 Go Banking Rates survey, 34% of all adults in the U.S. have $0 in savings. That's over a third of U.S. adults. 35% have less than $1,000, and only 15% have $10,000 or more. So why is this happening? Well, there's confusion about what savings actually is, and that lack of clarity makes it very difficult to make decisions and take action. We all feel that we should have more and that guilt then is laid on us and that's never a good motivator. But if we don't have clarity on what exactly savings is and having the ability to put it into action, we're going to continually unprioritize savings and find something else to do with our money instead. You know, even a very simple Google search does not give clarity in the answers. You're going to find a lot of different things, but you're not necessarily going to find out what exactly is savings and what to do about it. So we've already talked about the why of savings. The reasons to save are that the wealthy are saving. It creates this confidence and peace of mind. You're safe and sound. You have the ability to sleep better at night. You have that liquidity to be able to jump into opportunities and you can handle any emergencies. We've talked about how to save. We've talked about how to design this system for managing your cash flow with the flow of your money that builds savings and puts you in control, allowing you to prepare for opportunity, having this emergency and opportunity fund. So now today, we're going to get down to brass tacks. We've talked about the why, the how, and now we're at the what. What is savings and what isn't it? How do I know if it's savings? Where can I save my money? What are the best places to save money? And the four main reasons why people aren't saving. So for preparation for this podcast, I looked up the Merriam-Webster definition of savings. And my first, the first definition, which was actually my favorite, is the preservation from danger or destruction, deliverance. Now, that definition is pretty awesome. But let's talk about what savings actually is. So Bruce, as I look at savings, the definition is the excess of income over consumption expenditures, money put by. What does that make you think of? Well, first of all, I agree with you that I like that uh, definition of preservation from danger or destruction. Although I, I would try to flip it to be more of a positive situation, like we were talking about savings for opportunities uh, later on. But the, um, the excess of income over consumption expenditures, I think it's really confusing for people because a lot of people believe that they just can't save because they have to 
uh, have a particular product or they have to have a particular service. And that is where the savings gets very confusing because well, according to this definition, the excess of income over consumption expenditure um, really means that you're actually at the end, after you consume, you're going to have money left over and that should be your savings. And, and most people would say to us, well, I don't have any um, savings because I don't have any money left over. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because they believe that everything they consume is absolutely necessary. And I think that brings into confusion. So it's really a mindset of looking at everything that you do and consume and decide whether uh, that is really necessary. And then I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the idea of paying yourself first should actually be part of your consumption. So you get that out of the way, then you decide what your consumption is going to be after that. Absolutely. And you brought something to to light there as you were talking. And if we're talking about the excess of income over consumption expenditures, then we're really talking about cash flow. And I want to separate the definition of cash flow versus saving because just the idea that you have cash flow, that means you have money that's not spent each month. You have income, which is the money coming in. You have expenses, which is all your money going out. And you have a difference between those two. So income minus expenses is your cash flow. That is not the same thing as savings. That's the excess each month. That's cash flow, or that could be profit if you're looking at your business. And so that's one idea and one item. The other piece is that this is really talking more to the verb or the act of savings rather than the noun, which if we go back to grammar, um, noun is a person, place, or thing of what savings is. So we really want to talk about both. What is the act of saving? And then also, what is the thing of savings itself? So when it comes to cash flow, kind of stepping back out of that for a moment, the way to have additional cash flow is, yes, to pay yourself first and have that be an expenditure, which is actually one of your expenses that's going to an account that you're paying to yourself in the future, and then spending the rest for today, which Bruce, you were just talking about kind of having that savings first and then the spending. So the reason, the first reason why people are not saving is that they have that lack of cash flow. And if you are consuming everything that you make, you want to be in a position where you're recognizing not all of that spending is happening by spending for your lifestyle. Some of that is spending for financial strategies that you've been told to believe that have money flowing out of your control. And we'll come back to that a little later on. But all of your money is going somewhere. All of it's allocated to something. It's a matter of what is that allocated to and is part of that for your future. That's the portion that we're focusing on for savings. So, Bruce, when we talk about savings defined as a noun, what actually is savings? Well, that's a, that's a really good uh, uh, thing to talk about because a lot of people look at money that they have in different um, vehicles or products and they say, well, I've already saved. But uh, really, when we're talking about savings, we want to talk about things that are um, you have liquidity, uh, and you can use it very easily, and you control that. 
So liquidity is, is the definition of that is something that you can easily convert to usable cash very quickly. Uh, uses can be, you want to use this for any purpose and control is, do you have to ask per, permission to use your money from a, from an entity, whether that be a financial uh, services ent- entity or the, or the government? So when you combine mm-hmm. all these kind of things, liquidity, use and control, and the knowledge of what you do, um, what you're really saying is the knowledge of whether you're going to be able to do this, then you're going to find that opportunities will seek liquidity. Nelson Nash says this all the time that uh, opportunity, or excuse me, cash seeks uh, opportunity. So most people have money in places they cannot use um, or access very easily. So that leads to a bunch of cash flow crunches. We saw that uh, recently in the recession, and we're going to see it again because recessions repeat over and over again. We also see it in what I would call personal recessions. Personal recessions would be when a person loses their job, or they get a medical emergency, or they uh, have a situation when um, they're trying to pay for higher education. So when we talk about savings, we really, the requirement to call it savings is, is something that has safety, liquidity, and, and growth. So safety simply means there's no loss of value. Liquidity means you have relatively good access to your money. And growth means it's going to continue to earn some kind of compounded interest. So Bruce, let me talk about that just for a second. So I want to come back to liquidity, use, and control. So if we put those together, L-U-C, we could call that passing the luck test. Right. Sure. So this is this is if if it is easily convertible to cash, if I am able to use it, and if I don't have to ask for permission. So that's passing the luck test. Now, luck we all know is spelled L U C K, and so we're talking about having the L U C is really the attributes of our savings itself. So this is is it liquid? Is it usable? Do I control it? That is for the savings. Then when we talk about using that into opportunities, we want to invest with knowledge. We want to apply our knowledge to invest in what we know and control. And that's where we really say, if I am using my liquid available or liquid usable and controllable cash, I'm applying that into a investment that I know and control. That's where we say, oh, that person is lucky. They not only had the cash to take advantage of the opportunity, but then they applied themselves in an opportunity that they knew. And so that's how we get luck, L-U-C-K, liquidity, use, control. And we add that with our knowledge. That's how we look at people and say, oh, they just were lucky. Well, they had the liquidity, use, and control of cash. And then they had an opportunity where they were able to apply their knowledge. And so now we're kind of jumping into another way that we can frame that in this idea of safety, liquidity, and growth. And those are three attributes that we would want to see on any ideal account. Now, we don't necessarily always get safety, liquidity, and growth in every account, but we can kind of use this to gauge the quality of a particular account for achieving a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's a a good way of looking at safety, liquidity, and growth? Correct. Um, In most financial um, vehicles, you can get really good at two of the three um, and you'll, and you'll get a third one, but it'll be, it'll be su- suppressed a little bit. 
So when we're looking at the, those things, we classify every place we put money uh, according to how much safety it has, how much liquidity it has, and how much growth it has. So yes, I think that, that this is a good litmus test to when people are looking to place their money somewhere. Good. And so when we are wanting to be in cash, we want to be poised for action. So we're wanting to think about what is the purpose of this? What is the next step? So not only are we just having cash, but we want to be poised to do something with that. So the financial position that allows you to take advantage of opportunity is one where you do have that liquidity use and control. Your money is accessible. It can be easily converted to cash. It's available for you to use and it's stored where you're not going to have loss. That's an ideal place to store savings. So I want to contrast that with investing. Now, when we're in a position of investing, investments carry an element of risk. Now, we can mitigate that risk by investing in what we know and control, being an active investor, not just handing our money over to someone else. But at the same time, there is an element of risk, meaning that that account can go down in value. So if you invest with no knowledge or control, that's speculation or gambling, really. But there's a myth that you have to have high risk in order to get high returns. We're going to cover that in a future episode where we deep dive into investing. But really, the rule of thumb is, if it can lose value, it's not savings. So this is going to disqualify anything in the stock market. So whether it's mutual funds inside of a 401k, maybe it's a 403b or an IRA, Roth IRA, or even equity in your home, these things have the potential to drop in value. So that is not going to be a safe place for savings. Savings has that safety and liquidity. We ideally want to add in the best element of growth that we can on that place for having and holding our savings. Would you agree? Yes. And I think the other thing that, that I see with business owners, they, um, they tie, they, they put all their money that they would consider saving back into their business right away. So they're, they're not consciously uh, looking for um, the best opportunities. The great thing about putting it back into your business is you have the greatest knowledge of your business. But a lot of, a lot of business owners I run into don't have very much money in the savings and they say, well, I'm really just putting all my savings back into my business. But as you just said, this, this really disqualifies, disqualifies this because your business can lose value. Yes, absolutely. And, and if you're investing in your business, I mean, that is definitely an investment, right. but you're putting your money in something that is an asset that is it quickly convertible to cash? Not necessarily. Um, can you use it? Potentially, if you sold off a portion of your business or maybe some of your equipment, do you control it? Generally, yes. But we could apply then that luck test or the safety liquidity growth test right. to it and say, is my business, is is cash invested in my business? And it would depend on how. Is it in your building itself? Is it the real estate of your business? Is it in um, marketing in your business? Is it in inventory? So those things, we'd say, well, that's not necessarily a good mark of savings. That would not be a, a good place to store the savings. Correct. You're investing in your business. Yes. And so as we look then at reason number two, why people aren't saving, we're looking at there's this tragic distinction. Well, there's this 
tragedy of losing the distinction between saving and investing. Really, there's been a, a blurring of the lines between saving and investing. And it causes many people to lose control instead of gaining it. Saving and investing are two very different tasks that we assign our money to. Now, when we're saving, we want safety, liquidity, growth on that money. We want it to be liquid, usable, and we want to make sure we control that. So when people are saving for retirement, let's talk about this for a moment because we see this happening very commonly. Many people think that they're saving for retirement, and that's been a common phrase that has been used and promoted also by retirement planning and the whole retirement planning industry. But really, they're investing. So if you're putting your money at risk in the stock market, that is truly investing. If you're putting aside a portion of your income, that means you have cash flow. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're saving it. If you're moving that automatically into a 401k through payroll deductions, that means you're automatically investing. Most of the time what happens is that decision then causes you to have nothing left over to actually move into true savings where it's safe and won't drop in value. And so this person who's putting money into a retirement plan may think they're saving and they actually end up that they're not saving at all. They're investing automatically and they're saving if there happens to be money left over at the end of the month. So the way that we want to fix that is we want to turn the tables and we want to say the way that we see the ultra wealthy working is that they're saving automatically and they're investing intentionally. They're not just investing haphazardly or automatically on a schedule. They're making sure that their investment decisions are programmed and calculated and they know exactly what they're doing. So while most people are busy believing the marketing, following the rules, they're investing in their retirement plan automatically with the payroll deductions. And we've seen the wealthy have transcended that system and they're doing just the opposite. So the successful prioritize savings so much so that they save automatically. They have boring, predictable money that they can count on to be there when they're ready to make a very deliberate investing decision in the right opportunity. And this is something like buying assets at a deep discount during a time of crisis. But the one thing I want to point out is it's really important to have the savings in the first place and not have that money burning a hole in your pocket and saying, well, I need to convert this into an investment right away. The value of having savings allows you that confidence and slow deliberation to make sure you're making the right investment decision, not just any investment decision. Yes. And no, this is, um, this distinction can be, can you really show that this distinction really hurts the American people? Because when you do not, when you do not take the time to intentionally invest into something, but you just do it automatically, it has been proven over and over that people then pull money out of their retirement accounts in a pre- premature situation. Example, I have an article from the New York Times in November of 2014, and it says over a quarter of the households that use one of these plans, they're talking about retirement plans, take money out for purposes other than retirement at some point. In 2010, 9.3% of households 
and they actually use the word save, who save in this way paid a penalty to take money out. They pulled out $60 billion in the process. So in 2010, people who thought they were saving ended up pulling out $60 billion out of retirement accounts. Now, for our listeners, that means that they would have to pay the taxes on it. Of course, when you put money into a retirement uh, qualified plan, all you're doing is delaying taxes anyway. So that's not a that's not a huge deal. Although you are taking out before 59 and a half or prematurely means that you are taking $60 billion out and another 10% penalty will apply. So you know mm-hmm. the government is taking another penalty of 10%, or in this case, in 2010, $6 billion of penalties. Mm. So this is wow. This is yeah. This is really interesting. I've I've uh, seen many of these different types of early withdrawals. In um, excuse me, in a Bloomberg news article of May 11, 2014, uh, what they they found that people were taking fifty in 2011. So in 2010 they took out sixty billion. In two, 2011 they took out fifty seven billion. So almost the same amount for $5.7 billion. So this is, mm. this is um, happening over and over in our United States uh, plan to actually save into retirement accounts. And this is the part that is causing people to, to get these excess penalties. And most of these excess penalties in these articles are saying because they are having things come up in their lives, which they use, which they really should have money set aside in a savings to deal with, such as loss of a job, or increased medical costs, or uh, higher education for their children. Absolutely, and you shared one piece that when we have a penalty applied to using our money, that means we don't control it and we don't have access to it. So that is back to our liquidity use and control. Um, We have to ask permission to use our money. We may not have access to that. And if we do get the access, we have a 10% penalty. It also means that it's not as liquid or usable as we want it to be. So those are a couple of pieces that makes those retirement plans, not an ideal savings vehicle. The other piece is that it can lose value. I mean, we know back when we look at 2008 and people were having their 401k turn into a 201k Mm. cut in half because of the stock market drop. So if you thought you had $100,000 in your account and all of a sudden you woke up and the stock market caused your 100,000 to turn into 50,000, that is also not a reliable way to say, well, I know that this money is going to be there for me and give me confidence and peace of mind. And unfortunately, what happened during that time period if people didn't have money in savings where it was real liquid, they they rated their 401ks like piggy banks. And it went not only did it go from one hundred thousand down to fifty thousand, but now they're taking money out when it's only at fifty thousand because they didn't have money anyplace else. So they're so even if they didn't take it all out, they now took money out at fifty thousand. And let's say they took ten or twenty thousand dollars out. Now, when people say, well, don't touch it because it'll come back in value, well, now you have to grow, say, forty or 30000 
back to 100,000 over a time period, which means the, re- the rates of return have to be even greater. So there's absolutely so that's- it really you're taking money out at the worst possible time. Oh, absolutely. And that's really hard to recover from uh, getting from 20 to 30,000 all the way back up to 100,000. In that example, I mean, that's really difficult. And I was, as I was doing my research, Rachel, uh, the people in the financial services industry were simply saying things like, well, you no, do not do it under any circumstances. Do not take money out of your 401k or your IRA or any other kind of retirement account. Do do not do it. And I'm thinking, well, that's <clears throat> that's really easy for them to say that at that time. But if people don't have savings, um, I actually I actually found an article where Mark Rubio, who uh, was actually during his presidential run, took sixty eight thousand dollars out of a four hundred one k from a previous employer, mm-hmm. and his justification was um, he had to have higher um, higher costs for education. And he would also need the money to run his campaign. So even a mm-hmm. per, high profile person like um, a, a congressperson who should have, you know, b- uh, really good advisors around him said, hey, you know, I, I, have, I have to have this money. So he lost uh, control of that money and caused him to pay uh, quite a bit in taxes and penalties. Oh, Absolutely. Which, again, just highlights the reason why we want to make sure that when we are saving, we're truly saving in a place that has liquidity, that we can use it. We, it's in our control. We don't have to have that permission to get to it. There's no taxes and penalties to get that money. And we also want to make sure it doesn't drop in value. So when we look at the ultra-wealthy and what they're doing, they are giving top priority to increasing their net investable income, the portion of their income that is able to be put to the side in savings and later be able to be invested. That's more important to them, having a portion of their income be free from today's expenses so that they can put that aside. That's more important to them than maximizing returns. So if you spend less of a percentage of your net income as it grows, you can always be saving more and more as a percentage of your income, and that's saving more and more dollars every year as your income increases as well. So save automatically and then invest deliberately with intention and with knowledge that it really is the right investment that matches your value system, that matches your investor DNA, that is something you personally know and control. It's not just a great investment if it's somebody else's best investment. It needs to be what matches your investor DNA. So when we see the ultra wealthy doing that, they know what their ideal deal looks like. They know how much capital they need to do that deal. And they only do deals or investments at a certain dollar threshold or more. If you are an ultra wealthy family and you know you only invest in properties that are a certain type of commercial property and you are looking for deals $500,000 and more, you're not going to go invest in something else that is completely unrelated that's a $5,000 deal. It's just not even going to be of interest to you. So when you have built up the capital, you know exactly what you need and what you're looking for. And you find that investment that meets that predefined criteria. That's when you're able to apply your cash that you have in savings, the cash that has liquidity, 
use and control around it. You're able to apply that knowledge and then you're able to invest very well. So really what we want to emphasize here is keeping that substantial store of cash that can be used when cash becomes king. You're not just itching to say, I've got to put this money into an investment somewhere. Really having the cash in savings is really valuable to you. So as we then move into where can you save money? What are the best places to put my savings? Let's talk through, Bruce, some of the accounts that people use to hold money Mm -hmm. and really evaluate these against that safety, liquidity, and growth and help to bring that discussion to the forefront. Is this a good place to save money? Is this truly savings or is it not? Right. So, So we've highlighted and we've talked a little bit on many of these already, but what about some of the retirement accounts we just mentioned they're often miscategorized as savings so again things like 401ks 403bs sep plans roth iras iras how would you evaluate that bruce according to the safety liquidity and growth well as we already said if because it is an investment uh, there is no safety if it isn't truly in in a um, a retirement account then you lose liquidity as as we already mark, uh, mentioned with Mark Rubio and all those people in 2010 and 11, they lost liquidity and had to pay a penalty. Growth, on the other hand, uh, could be something that will happen if it's in that particular investment for a long time. Um, but it also can be a situation where it has no growth or actually you lose money and considerable amount of money. So we look for safety, liquidity, and growth on a retirement investment account. Really, um, you have very little safety, liquidity, and growth is even up for debate. Absolutely. So with that criteria then, how would we say, is this savings or is it not savings? Well, it would not be savings. And I agree, you said this very early in the podcast, words are very powerful. And you and people are bombarded every day about saving for retirement, and what you're actually doing is investing for retirement, and that's a distinction I think people need to know about so that they can decide what um, what they're doing with their money. Is it either savings or investing? Absolutely. Now I want to talk about another one that is a place where cash ends up. Maybe you don't have the intention of saving here or even necessarily investing, but it's something that people do is they pay their mortgage and the intention is to pay off that mortgage. And so every time you put dollars into your mortgage and build up the equity in your home, you are putting money there. Now we want to address this because if you had, say, $300,000 worth of equity in your home, is that savings or is that not savings? So Bruce, what would you say about that? Yeah, this is a this is a great topic, and this is a very emotional topic for a lot of people. Uh, I see this all the time, especially uh, with inheritances. People say, "Well, I got this inheritance. I'm just going to pay off my house. I'm just going to put it in my house because I want to. I want to save it in my house." And when you save it in your house, what people uh, don't realize is they think it's safe, but uh, home values have gone down. And they, they went down considerably during the last recession. Is it liquid? Well, this is also 
uh, a thing that we could say it, it's not very liquid unless you have a very good relationship with your bank who has given you the opportunity to have a line of credit. Um, but if you just have the, you think, well, I can just go to the bank and, and ask for the money back. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. So it's not really that liquid. And is there any growth in it? And this is where people have a difficult time of, of understanding that equity in a home gets a zero percent growth. And people say, well, that's not true because my house goes up in value, but the house goes up in value, whether you have large amounts of equity in it or not. So the actual equity part of it does not go up in value. So is it safe? Um, I would say 2008 and nine in a recent memory would say, no, it's not. Is it liquid? It's really not liquid. Someone has to give you permission to take it back out. And then the growth of it is definitely, if you really understand what's happening with the equity part of it, that equity has 0% growth. The asset itself, though, does grow. True, and and has the potential to appreciate or to drop in value. So I would say that home equity is not savings. It's not... What was that, Bruce? No, it's not. I mean, if you just if you go by the criteria, it's not. All right. So you brought up something else that I wanted to highlight here as well. And this is a third reason why people aren't savings or aren't saving. And it's that they feel that, well, I have access to capital through lines of credit. So therefore I have access to someone else's money, it's not my own, that I could use if I had an emergency or an opportunity. But let's evaluate this as well. So this could be something like a credit card with a um, a limit that is unused, or it could be a revolving HELOC on your house. Both are an open line of credit to borrow capital, essentially. And so when we're looking at that, it's not having a positive sum of cash in savings, it's really kind of having negative savings. It's the ability to access someone else's capital and take yourself into a, a, a negative position or you're borrowing against the equity in your house or you're borrowing against the credit card. Um, so let's kind of talk through that a little bit. So it's valuable to have that access to someone else's capital as well, but it has limits and it's not true savings. So Bruce, let's talk about those for well, just a the- second. Well, I have, I mean, I've had several real life advan- uh, situations that um, a line of credit has been taken away by the bank or reduced severely by the bank when they have liquidity crunches. Mm-hmm. Several business owners, um, when, when we went through the recession, uh, the, the, the uh, banks were had problems with liquidity. And so they had to lower the uh, lines of credit uh, with the business owners. And of course, that would be the same with homeowners. And then also a lot of business owners and um, individuals found that their credit, the credit card companies also cut their um, credit limits. So you, this is another example of how uh, not only you, is it negative savings, but it's also an example of you do not have the control of that. So it's, you don't necessarily have the growth and you don't necessarily have the safety that you need to use our litmus test of safety, liquidity, and growth. Absolutely. And so that's something we want to have available to us. The ability to have something you can borrow against is, is a great situation to be in. 
but we also don't want to have only that at the expense of having true savings where you have cash set somewhere to be able to access in an emergency or to leverage into an opportunity. So let's talk then about more of the typical standard savings vehicles. Um, And here is where we get into the fourth reason really why people aren't saving. And this is that they feel that, well, if I am saving, I'm getting such a low rate of return, it doesn't even seem to be worth it. And so we're going to address that as we go through these. So obviously, savings accounts probably would top that list in terms of where should I put my savings. So I'll just run through that real quick. So savings, yes, and you're going to have safety generally if you want to talk about the safety of banks. I mean, there there have been bank failures in the past, um, but generally money in the bank is fairly safe. It's up to the FDIC insurability limits. They can back that account. Is that 200000 Bruce? Yeah, uh, right now it is. They, they, they do change the, that those limits uh, with, um, with, with times. We saw that during the recession. Right. Right. And then we look at liquidity as well. So that is liquid. Yes, it can be converted to cash right away. Um, And growth would be very minimal, especially in today's low interest rate environment. You're getting about 0.4 to maybe point, I'm sorry, excuse me, 0.04 to 0.06% on a bank savings account, which I don't think in anyone's estimation is a high growth rate. No, and I mentioned this in another podcast I believe we're going to be into what I call the new normal. Um, banks traditionally have bought our money. And that's what, when you buy money, you have to actually entice somebody to save money in a bank. So they give you a rate of return on that. But during the recession, what banks found out was, even though they're not giving very much money, um, uh, excuse me, very much interest on money, people are still placing money into banks. So in the future, <clears throat> excuse me, even as interest rates go up, <clears throat> I, I do uh, interest rates I'm talking about uh, for the Federal Reserve go up. I do not believe that um, local banks will raise their interest rates the same as they had in the past because they know people are storing money in the bank. So they don't have to buy it for, uh, as much. They can keep the interest rates lower. The other, the other thing they can they can borrow from the Federal Reserve currently cheaper than uh, buying money from uh, individuals. So I think the growth is going to remain minimal for several decades. Sure, and that's definitely not a rosy picture as well for the person who does want to have true savings. It's not an ideal place to grow money. Now it is meeting those markers of safety and liquidity pretty well. And that's why it kind of ends up being the go-to for where people are saving money. So if we wanted to improve upon that, well, maybe we could look at a CD or a certificate of deposit. So Bruce, would you walk through kind of the safety liquidity growth on a CD? Sure. If you, once again, if you believe in FDIC insurance, um, they are safe. Uh, There is the liquidity of them. Uh, People can argue whether they're liquid or not. You can go and surrender your CD, and you simply would lose the uh, uh, the amount of interest you had. So, in other words, if you put five hundred dollars into a thirteen month CD, and you and you got maybe 075 percent, but you needed to take it out in eight months, uh, you you still have the five hundred dollars. You would just not get any of the of the interest that grew for the eight months 
Uh, so the growth um, would be there, be a little better than savings account, but it's still minimal. minimal. So then people turn to uh, money market accounts. And uh, what, what people don't realize is money market accounts are not as safe as they might think they are. Um, they are pretty safe, but there still could be loss of principal. Um, they are liquid, much like a savings account. Um, but And the growth is better in banks, but it's still very, very minimal. Then you get into things like <clears throat> treasury bills and notes. And treasury bills are safe because they have uh, the backed by the government. Um, they, they aren't real liquid because you have to hold them to maturity. And uh, the growth is there only if you do hold it to maturity. So treasury bills are a little bit different than bonds. So you buy them at a discount. So example, if um, you buy a $1,000 treasury bond uh, for five years, you're actually paying $950 for it. So you're not getting any interest on it. But then if you hold it for those five years, um, you may you get $1,000. So you made $50 off of it. So you're buying it at $950, hold it for five years, and you get $1,000. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the growth is is uh, better than the other places, but the liquidity is not nearly as good because you have to wait to to hold it to maturity. Bonds are very similar, except you buy them at what they call par. So a thousand dollar bond, you buy a thousand dollars. Is it safe? Once again, it depends on the uh, the entity that is holding the bond, whether it's a corporate mm-hmm. bond or whether it's a, a municipal bond or whether it's a U.S. Uh, bond. Um, so you have to determine what the safety is on that. Uh, liquidity is there to some extent because you could buy it one day, say a five-year a five uh, year bond, and you could sell it the next day, but you might have to sell it at a loss. Um, growth, growth would be there um, because they are paying you along the way. But if you need the principal, you may have to sell it as a, as a loss. So if we look, if we take our safety, liquidity, and growth into account again, safety is questionable on that. Liquidity, I guess you could say it's liquid. And the growth is there only if you hold it to maturity or if you can sell it at a profit. So then we would classify, yes, savings accounts are savings. CDs are savings, money market accounts are savings, treasury bills and bonds. Would you classify them as savings then? Well, I think it, um, I think you probably should classify them as savings because they are fairly safe if you hold them. Um, they are fairly liquid. They're not completely liquid. Uh, if you're saying to yourself, well, I want to make sure I get everything back that I put into it. And, right. and, and for the most part, if you keep it for a long period of time, uh, you will see growth, but right. th- they aren't, I wouldn't classify them the same way as I would classify the savings, the certificates of deposit in a money market. So, in, so what we're seeing here kind of surface and come to light is that there are graduating degrees of how ideal this tool is for savings 
vehicle. And when we're looking at this, if we also want to ask the question, can I convert this into cash so that I can use it for an emergency? I had an unexpected medical emergency arise, or I wanted to put this into another opportunity, not so I had money in bonds, but I, I found a real estate property I wanted to put money into. Can I take it immediately out of bonds and put it into the real estate? And the answer is probably not if you want to keep that growth on that, on that money. And so we want to be thinking about what's the purpose of this money? Can I, is it liquid? Is it usable? Do I control it? Is it something I can use for emergencies and opportunities? And does it pass the safety liquidity growth test that we're talking about? And so one particular asset that we see rising to the forefront and meeting all the criteria most ideally is cash value of life insurance. And so this is on specifically, specially designed whole life insurance. If we look at safety, liquidity, and growth, it is safe. Now, life insurance companies historically have been less likely to fail than banks have. They've weathered tremendous economic upturns and downturns and continued to stay in force and stay in business and pay dividends during that time. Is the money liquid? Yes. When you have cash value in a life insurance policy, you are able to make a request to the life insurance company and they give you a loan against your cash. That doesn't require you to qualify for it. You don't have to say what you're using the money for. You don't have to have a certain credit score. You don't have to prove that you're able to pay it back. So the money is liquid and it's available for you to use. And in terms of growth, we see a much higher growth rate than a typical savings account. So this is usually right now in today's interest rate environment between about 3 and 5% total growth over a 30-year span if we look at the growth of dividends and interest within that policy. So I know, Bruce, we're going to talk about this more in depth in a future podcast, but how would you like to add on to that in terms of what we share with our audience today on cash value life insurance? Well, this is the vehicle that I use and many of my clients use. Um, And let's go back to the safety. Uh, Insurance companies are less likely to fail than banks because um, they are they must hold in trust um, more money that they have um, promised to to the actual policyholders. So banks, it's called dollar for dollar reserves, right? Yes, and 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 the good ones have um, anywhere between one hundred and eight and one hundred and twenty dollars in reserve compared to what they for every hundred dollars that they have to pay out. They're also mm-hmm. safe because. In order to do business in a particular state, they have to pay into what's called a guarantee uh, provision um, so that if something were to happen, it's much like think our listeners can think about it as FDIC insurance. Uh, they are liquid. And not only, Rachel, can you take a loan, but you could you could actually ask for your cash value back. So you just yes. cash value back. As a withdrawal, yes, you can do that as well. Right. There is, just like all these savings vehicles, early on in the policies, there may be um, some hit on your liquidity, but it is, it is uh, they are still very liquid. The growth is the part that um, is actually in the last 10 years why people are turning what I, what I would call turning back to cash value life insurance, because the growth 
component and uh, combined with the safety and liquidity of between three and five percent, depending on your age, um, that when you take out the policy is much better than savings certificates of deposit and money market accounts. And what people don't realize is that uh, cash value your life insurance is where most people were saving money if they didn't save it in a bank um, prior to the 70s because there was there were not retirement accounts. There were not um, 401ks or IRAs. 401k did not come about until 1979, and the IRA was first introduced in 1973. So people, if they didn't put money into savings accounts or CDs or money market accounts at their bank, the place that they used or, or saved their money was in the cash value life insurance uh, before before their retirement accounts became available in the 70s. Those are really awesome um, things that you kind of just brought to attention. I mean, really, cash value life insurance is not a new tool. It's a return to more traditional way of thinking about and handling your money. And so we're going to, again, discuss that in more depth in future articles and future podcasts that we do. But what we want to do today is give you a way that you can apply this today in your own life, all of this idea and mindset, and really the what of savings. So first of all, maybe you're in a position with substantial savings. I've talked to several business owners who want to be in that position of cash so that they can invest in their business when the right opportunity comes. They can invest in real estate when the right opportunity comes. They're looking to deploy cash, but they need to have that cash available right now. Maybe they're looking to expand their business or open a new location. And if you like safety, you want access to cash, you're planning to use it at some point, but you want a more efficient tool to store your cash, we would encourage you to research savings account alternatives like specially designed life insurance that give you liquidity, use, and control of your capital. We've actually designed a 20-minute easy-to-read guide called The Unfair Advantage, the ultimate guide to how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on their liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash. And so we'll make sure that you have the link for that in the show notes. But that again is a 20 minute guide to specially designed life insurance that helps you to understand how you can use this to maximize your growth while not giving up the safety or liquidity of your cash. Also, when you get that, there's a bonus course on privatized banking. So you have two wonderful resources at your fingertips to be able to learn. And that can just be the starting point of your research. Now, maybe you're not in a position with a sum of cash already. Maybe you have a sparse savings account or no savings at all. What steps can you take to begin to build more savings from that point and build more substantial savings? First, I would say evaluate your holdings. So go through where you're holding your cash right now. This is essentially doing a financial picture analysis for yourself. Write down if you have CDs, write down retirement accounts, write down cash in the bank, write down life insurance cash value, and go through the list and ask yourself these questions. Does this account have the potential to go down in value? If so, cross that off. That's an investment. It's not savings. Is it liquid and accessible? Those are going to help you apply that luck test 
or the safety liquidity growth test to your own places where you're storing cash. And if you're weighted towards having money at risk, then turn those tables and set your savings on auto deposit so that every paycheck you have an automatic transfer going into savings and then be okay staying in cash until you not only have a good opportunity, but precisely the right opportunity. And when that surfaces, you're then able to take advantage of that. And then Bruce, I want you to talk about this as well. So another way that you can um, increase your cash flow so that you're able to save more would be to evaluate your financial decisions that you're making and figure out, are they putting more money into your control or out of your control? Now, we realize that that's probably something that you may not be able to answer the question to right now if you're listening. But Bruce, can you share with them how a financial picture consultation would help them to do that? Yes. Um, we are not, when we talk about uh, cash flow awareness, we want to talk about it in a positive way. We just want people to be more aware of where their money is going so they can make conscious decisions about whether they want their money to go in that place or not. And we see this on an everyday basis. We're not trying to put you on a strict budget because budgets are are, uh, talking about what you can't have. But I don't think people realize how much money flows through their fingers uh, throughout their lifetime. And it's simply because they're not aware of how much money they spend on certain items throughout the day, or they do not take time to see if they can spend the same, I'm sorry, spend less money on the same product by just doing a little um, extra resource work by looking for different people um, that are offering the same type of product. And it it takes some time. It takes some commitment to do that. And and in order to do that, what we do is we walk through um, your cash flow awareness on what we would call fixed things that you pay for every month and variable things that you pay for every month. And then irregular things that you pay for throughout the year and fixed things that you pay for throughout the year. So we then look at that and see what that number is. Um, that, that is very valuable for a lot of people just to show them, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was spending that much money in this area. And I don't even want to spend that much money in this area. And in fact, the savings on that area, then I can, I can either save or I can invest, or I can, I can spend it on a different in a different area. So that's valuable, mm-hmm. and we have to do that though by evaluating cash flow. So then we we find all your cash flow that's coming in from different areas. Subtract the fixed costs, subtract the variable costs, subtract the unforeseen costs, and um, whether they're irregular costs throughout the year or um, something that you pay once a year. And then we see if there's any surplus, and then we help people redirect that surplus uh, into areas that they want to redirect it. And so this is something that you can do on your own with, with a cash flow awareness exercise. And this is also something that we would love to help you through as part of a financial picture consultation. And so some of those decisions to do I pay off this debt? Do I overpay on my mortgage so that I can pay that off more quickly? Do I contribute to a 401k? Those types of questions, do I keep this particular life insurance policy in force or not? Is it really helping me in the long run? 
some of those decisions may have money flowing out of your control and some may have money flowing into your control. And we would love to help you walk through your financial picture and discover ways to get more of your money flowing into your control so that you can direct more of it to savings that you control so you can build up the emergency and opportunity fund and you can be in a position where you have more confidence and peace of mind. So I wanted just to say thank you to our listeners today. Um, Up next, we're going to be talking about saving versus investing and what is investing. So we're going to deep dive more into that. And until then, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the struggling crowd, and build a life and business that you love. To learn how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash, go to themoneyadvantage.com forward slash liquid dash capital to get The Unfair Advantage, your 20-minute easy-to-read guide on maximizing your savings. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.